Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 290 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. Thrilled that you're here with me today as I'm talking to Farah Jasmine Griffin. And it's a gorgeous conversation. I think you're really going to like it. We talk about on how to write to include your full self organically so that whatever your book is, it holds you your true self. We also talk about uh, the musicality of writing and how that can assist us in our writing. And it was just a fantastic interview. So I know that you're going to enjoy that when we get there. Um, What is going on around here? Well, about an hour ago, I signed myself up for sailing lessons in Wellington that start on Tuesday. And I am terrified I'm truly scared by this. I love sailing. Um, I kind of grew up around my dad's boats. He's a sailor and um, his boats were always a little bit precarious. Uh, You know, he built a couple. I remember watching him down in the lagoon when we lived on Saipan and watching the, seeing that his mast had snapped, Uh, had to get in. We we were not with him, but he had to get in um, from that. And another time, I mean, many other times we would sail with him and, and, you know, we would bail as we went. That was fine. That was what the cut out milk jug was for. So um, my mother was very scared of sailing. She was scared of open water, although she did it. Uh, And I think I have a little bit of her in me and a lot of my dad in me that loves sailing. I have learned to sail. I've taken a learning to sail course. It was on Lake Merritt in Oakland, which to be fair, gets incredibly strong and weird winds as they come whistling down the canyons of the streets uh, with the high rises in Oakland. And it also gets the wind off of the San Francisco Bay. So it was complex. It was challenging. It it was scary. And I fell in love with it. That was probably, I don't know, five five years ago or so that I took that class. And now I'm signing up for this real class with not just the tiny sailboats, but the bigger sailboats and it's Tuesday and Thursday nights for, for like a month. And then at the end we join uh, the Friday rum run, rum race, rum race, where they, that we, oh, we see it from our house every Friday night, all the sailors go out, they have a little race and then they go back and I will be doing that. Wellington is the windiest city in the world. If you Google Windiest City in the World, Wellington comes up. And they say that if you can sail here, you can sail anywhere, which just makes me terrified. And you know how I feel about feeling terrified. Uh, Makes me a little ill. And it usually is the signal that I'm doing something that I will not regret. I am not talking about punching the car to... 90 miles an hour and then taking my hands off and just seeing what happens. That's terrifying for a different reason. That's terrifying for a stupid reason. Uh, But doing the things we're scared of, but we still really, really have a deep desire to do, hmm, perhaps like writing, perhaps like starting a book, perhaps like getting through the middle of a book, perhaps like finishing a book, perhaps like revising a book, perhaps like writing a query letter to an agent or learning how to self-publish. 
those things really, really are scary. You are not being a baby if these kind of things scare you. It is just your signal uh, saying, look at this. Hey, why don't you do something about this? And for me, it always takes making myself act without thinking. And that is true for writing. It's true of the sailing course. I only tried to get into the sailing course last week. A course started last week because a friend told me about it and she said she had a friend in it. So I'd kind of have a friend in that class. And I didn't think, I just emailed them. And they said, no, it's sold out. And I said, okay, whew, good, good, good enough for me. And then they just emailed me this morning and said, oh, we've opened up another course. It starts next week. Would you like in? And I pushed the button and bought it before I could talk myself out of it. That is a technique I use with my writing so, so, so often. I sit down at the computer. Um, I used to use an app called Freedom to take myself offline. I don't need it anymore. But when I did need it, I would click off. I would click Freedom on for 45 minutes before I gave myself a chance to even think about whether I was going to write or not. And suddenly I have no internet on my computer. I am at the desk. I might as well write. But the trick was not letting the sentence move through my head the sentence that said, oh, maybe I should do 15 minutes of email first, or maybe uh, I need to go put the laundry in. Anything that would delay that means I'm not going to do it. I have looked at that sailing course online a dozen times since we got here. And every time I have thought about it and I have chickened out because it looks terrifying down there, honestly. Uh, And this time I just didn't give myself the space or the time. I had also said to our friends, Olivia and Leticia, who have taken this course, that I was going to do it. That I, I said, I said literally in an email this morning, I sent to them, I said, I didn't get into the course last week. I will take it as soon as it's offered again. And within an hour, the guy had emailed me and I just pushed the button because I had told them that I was going to. And I told them I was going to because I wanted that uh, kind of accountability. That works in writing too. If you don't have an accountability partner of any sort, get one, find one somewhere. Come join my uh, Onward Writer Slack group. Look for someone in there that's uh, in my show notes. There's always a link to join in there. Come join that. Look for an accountability partner. Come to Rachel Says Write. Um, Actually, I think I'm going to do a new thing with Rachel Says Write. And I'm going to do a little new ad read in the middle of the show and it'll tell you all about it. Uh, But I think I'm going to give you a week free just to try it, just to come see how it feels to be there. So if you're interested in that, keep listening. Uh, And um, yeah, that's all I wanted to tell you about sailing. That is happening. Writing is happening. Writing has been so fun. I am about 21,000 words into the new project and I'm freaking out a little bit because I have not reached the inciting incident yet. And I am 22% into the book. I think, oh no, no, I'm probably more like 24, 25% into the book because the book, I want it to be 90,000 words. That would make me um, about, yeah, 24% into the book. And that is too late for the inciting incident. That is okay in a first draft. We don't care where these things end up, but my brain knows and likes to think about these things and likes to play with them and likes to know how will I revise this later? So I've kind of been thinking about that. If you are panicking and wondering what an inciting incident is, let me tell you really quick. It is the choice. Something happens to your main character or characters at about, usually it's about uh, 
12-ish percent in a book, 12 to 15% in a book, um, where something is presented to them that they need to make a choice about. And generally, they will push back against that choice. They will resist it before something makes them say, okay, yes, I will do this. And that usually happens between 15 and 20% where they say, yes, I will embrace this new thing and I will move forward into this new world. And then when you go into act two, everything is new and different and hopefully difficult and they're trying to achieve their goal, et cetera. We really do want to think about where these things are placed, where these major turning points are placed in our books, because the human brain that is raised in Western civilization and is raised with the traditional three-act structure expects certain things in certain places. And when they don't get them, they can become the the brain can become dissatisfied. Uh, It doesn't matter what you do in the story. You can be as surprising and daring and weird and break all the rules inside the story. But in terms of pacing and in terms of where emotional moments lie, it's a great idea to adhere to story structure. It's kind of, I always talk about it. It's like, um, it's, it's just gravity. It's story structure is literary gravity. If you start it, if you set your keys on the desk, but they floated up to the ceiling, your day would go very much uh, differently. And of course, there are no real rules in writing. Of course. Uh, But when you suddenly turn off gravity and everybody's floating around, um, they're getting a little bit nauseated. They don't know how to eat when there is suddenly no gravity. You don't want to take gravity away from your readers. It's, uh, It's like, it's structural. It is like wings on an airplane. Could you have an airplane without wings? I don't, I really don't know. You don't see it often is all I'm saying. You can a lot of different airplanes out there, but most of them have some kind of wings. Story structure is, is the wings. Story structure is the skeleton within the body that you came with. You are entirely unique, but your skeleton kind of looks like a lot of other people's in many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases it is, it resembles other human beings. That's what story structure is. So I have just been thinking about that inciting incident and what do I want to do with it. And I just have to admit that my brain is so pleased, pleased to be playing with this puzzle. It's something that uh, keeps drawing me back to the page. Oh, another thing that keeps drawing me back to the page. And I want to share this with you. Sorry, rather a long intro today. Uh, I am three days into a new challenge, you know, me in a challenge. And it is to write a poem for 30 days in a row in March. And what I mean by that is daily-ish. I have had a long and storied history with committing to do big things every day. And then I miss a day because of migraine or because of life or whatever it is. And then I never go back to the thing ever again. I I once drew for 186 days and I missed a day. And then I, I didn't draw again for years and years. Uh, I had like 200 days of meditating, missed a day, and then didn't meditate for a year. Like it's ridiculous. So I'm not I'm committing to daily-ish with this writing of the poem, but here's what I'm doing with it. I am getting up in the morning and the very first thing I do is I write a poem. My brain is still asleep. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's still really starting to just clunk into place. It doesn't matter if the poem is good or bad. I'm just trying to write about something. Uh, sometimes I draw a card 
to give me a prompt or this morning I did used um, the random word generator to pull three words up and I just spun the dial until I saw a word that kind of prompted something in my head. And then I just went with it. And this is the fun part. Um, I don't do a good job of it in the morning. And then usually, usually I say this, I've done this three days now, uh, but usually in those three days, I go back to it around noonish around lunchtime and push the words around a little bit more, see what happens to them. And then at the very end of the day, the very end of my day in the evening, I come back to the computer and it's the last thing I do on the computer is look at this poem, push some more words around, just play with it a little bit. Uh, keeping in mind the principles of joy and ease and fun and play. And when I'm done, I've been popping it into Instagram and I have a new Instagram account. It's for the poet side of myself, which is um, nascent. It's a little baby poet, Rachel. It's at Rachel H. Heron at Instagram. Uh, so you can find me there or yeah, it's probably the easiest way to find me. Just go to Instagram and look for Rachel H. Heron and uh, it comes up and I post them. And I'm not posting them for praise. I'm not posting them to get likes. Although, you know, of course, I'm not going to hate that uh, if that happens. I'm posting them as a place to be accountable to myself. And so that someday I can look back on these and say, oh, yes, I, I am a poet. I am very easy. I, I find it easy to claim myself as a, as a writer. I am also a novelist and I am a memoirist. Using the word poet to describe myself feels very, very, very uncomfortable, and it scares me, so I do it hard. I actually put poet first on the bio over there. So if you'd like to come and be my friend, I would love that. And uh, that's just something fun that I've been doing, and it's been feeling really, really good to, to go in and play with the same little toy that I created in the morning, kind of keep playing with it all day, and then release it at night. It's done. It's done its job. It's been fun. So I guess what I'm saying is it's great. It's been, all of this stuff has been so fun. Also classes have been amazing. My 90 days to done, 90 day revision and the grads, they are just kicking so much butt and taking so many names. And another person published her book this week and I am so proud of her and I'm so proud of all of them. So I'm just kind of feeling a little bit giddy over work. And uh, yeah, I'm happy about that. If you are interested, um, sorry, my brain is skipping all over the place. If you're interested in hearing more about what I think about uh, things like inciting incidents and story structure, you can always sign up for my writer's email newsletter, which is at rachelheron.com slash write. And I think in the second or third email of the automated sequence, I give you my story structure beat sheet, the one I have cobbled together over years of thinking about other people's um, systems and making them into my own system. And if you'd like to take a look at that particular form of literary gravity, please go ahead and grab that over there. It'll, if you sign up, it'll come to you automatically. Um, okay. I'm going to tell you in a second about Rachel says, right. And the new free week. And then we are going to jump into this beautiful interview with Farah. Please enjoy Please think about when you're going to get your writing done next. You're listening to me right now, so I know you're not writing. But when is the time that you're going to get a little bit of writing done? Is it later today? Is it in the morning? Is it just for 15 minutes? That absolutely counts. That is work, and that will get you to where you want to be. 
just keep doing that. All right, my friends, we will talk soon. Hey, would you like to come write with me, with my writing community? At Rachel Says Write, we write together twice a week, every Monday and Wednesday from 5 to 7 Pacific Time, 8 to 10 Eastern Time. We say hi and chat the tiniest little bit, and then together we write. It's truly magical the amount of words we get done together. You want to check it out with a week's free trial to see how it might work for you? Just go to rachelheron.com. Rachel Says Write to join us. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show today, Farah Jasmine Griffin. Hello, Farah. Hello. I'm I'm so happy to be here. I am totally thrilled to have you here. Let me give you um, give listeners your illustrious bio. Uh, Farah Jasmine Griffin is the William B. Ransford Professor of. Co- English and Comparative Literature at Columbia University, where she also serves as the inaugural chair of the African-American and African Diaspora Studies Department. In her most recent book, Read Until You Understand, The Profound Wisdom of Black Life and Literature, published September 14th by W.W. Norton, Griffin pays homage to family and community through generations of Black geniuses. Thank you for being on the show and for talking about writing with me. I'm so pleased you're here. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So this was your this was your fifth or your sixth book? I have to count. I think it's my sixth. <laughs> I was counting and I think it's six also. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to talk to you. Uh, you are incredibly busy. Yeah. Your job will keep you incredibly busy. How do you manage to find the time and space to do your own writing in and around all of that? It's such a great question. Um, part of it is because I have to, like if I, I wouldn't be able to do the other stuff, like I'd be filled with such resentment and anger. <laughs> I, I love that answer. Writing, you know, so um, I have to, it, it keeps me balanced. It keeps me sane. Like, you know, it keeps me um, nice and generous. Um, so I'm always trying to find snippets of time when I'm in a project. I mean, sometimes I'm not in a project, but when I'm in a project, I'm, I'm trying to write it around my day, you know? Um, and then I try to just take advantage of whatever time I can find. So a long weekend, um, a, you know, a, a break from school, uh, uh, you know, some time in the summer, vacation. Um, and that's when I'm actually kind of got something that I'm writing. When I'm not, I'm often thinking about the writing, thinking about what I want to write. And so that's the sort of note gathering, walk taking, trying to figure out what it is I want to put on paper phase. But I do it because I have to, I think. I always say that I'm just such a nicer person when I'm writing and I, and my wife always knows when I'm not writing because I'm not the nice person. Um, What, what stage do you prefer? Do you prefer the stage of creation or the note taking, taking walks part? Yeah. Um, The creation. I mean, you know, I feel like that's where we're always trying to get to that place. It's like my sweet spot, you know? And um. I'm always like I when I'm when I'm not in it. That's where I want to be. Yeah. And, um, I'm always striving to get there, and I know when I'm not there. You know, I just know, and it doesn't mean that I can't write when I'm not there. I can write, but it's not what you like. You said it's not what I enjoy. It's not feeling like I'm in that flow of things. Um, the, the writing feels much more arduous when I'm not there. 
So I definitely prefer there. And that's the rare spot to be in. But it's, it's kind of tragic that that is sometimes the rare spot to be in, but it is so true. Where do you do your best creation? Are you a, in your office writer? Are you a go on writer's retreat writer? Yeah, I do it. Um, when it comes, I can do it almost anywhere. Uh, but sometimes I need to be in a sp- certain space to start it, you know. Um, so there's a wonderful place um, in Newark that's owned by two sisters uh, called Easton's Nook. And I go there sometimes, it's just across the bridge, and I'll go there and, you know, spend like maybe two or three days to try to just block everything out and give myself that space. Um, sometimes I go to Philly where I'm from, and I, you know, if I'm at my mom's dining room table, I can get something done. Uh I do I not write in my, I, I don't write in my office at school. I don't write there. I can't write there. That's my office hour spot. I do have a very crowded study that um, was basically a storage space until COVID. And I actually turned it into a space where I could sit and write. Um, I'm actually talking to you from there now. Oh, and gorgeous. so I, I can write there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it depends. You know, it, it, it depends. I, I'm, I'm a real, um, how can I say this? Uh, aesthetics are very important to me, like, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's got to be a place that I find aesthetically pleasing. If only it's a window, yeah. you know, some glass bottles that I like or something. That helps me. Yeah, ugly I have, places I can't write. <laughs> yeah, I have only, I love that you say this. I've only recently realized that about myself. Um, that I need to have the beauty. We just moved to this house and it looks out into the garden and, uh, and you know, it's kind of a ramshackle garden, but I'm bringing it back to life. And I've got a, a jar of flowers on my desk that in a milk creamery bottle that some, one of my best friends, uh, when we still lived in the States gave me a bouquet of flowers, a posy of flowers from her garden. And if I, I can see that I can go into the work. And I just, I never knew that about myself. So it's yeah. nice to note about yourself and how great that you were able to repurpose, repurpose a space that was already in your house to get yeah, that to so yourself. Exactly. That's, you know, and I, I think when I first, I thought that's what this space was going to be. And then it just became the space where I put a bunch of stuff and, you know, yeah. I, my books are in here, but it was just, I wasn't getting much done. Um, the other thing that I just, as you were talking I did not know this about myself when you said I didn't know it about myself. Um, there is something about, I was, I was on a work trip once and I was in Helsinki of all places. I've never been to Helsinki. How cool. I've never been there either. And it was, it was great. It's a great city. And I have a friend who's from there and she, you know, she met me and we hung out, but um, Helsinki has like, um, Sometimes, like maybe during the year that I'm there, they have very overcast skies, you know, mm-hmm. it's gray, cloudy. And um, I guess that can be kind of depressing. <laughs> um, there's, it's, it can be certain kind, kind of melancholy in a way. Yeah. But for me, there was something about the drama of that gray sky, you know, and the changing clouds and the moon. And I just started writing, like, you know, so I told my husband, maybe I have to go to Helsinki. <laughs> <laughs> I can also recommend Iceland and yes. you could do, you could go to the places with big dr- Montana, maybe yes. big dramatic I, skies. Skies, right? And and I don't think it can be sunny. Like sunny, <laughs> you know, it's, 
Sunny is a sunny is a little bit blinding. Yeah, uh, no, I, it's enticing. I, you want to be out in it doing things, you know. But like exactly, brainness. There's something about that. So I discovered that about myself. <laughs> that is a wonderful discovery. I absolutely love that. Um, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Um, let's see. I think um, finding the time to actually, this is the way I put it, to hear myself think. Mm. Like my head is often so cluttered with um, other things, with family and life and politics and school and work and my students and that finding the time to hear myself think, to really hear, you know, um, that, that, that is challenging. And I think that's mm-hmm. part of returns to that getting back to that space. Like, you know, it's um, it's one of the requirements for me of, of being in the space of writing is to try to just clear the noise as best that I can, just clear the noise so that I can hear what I want to say. Do and you have hard. any particular practice that works for you to bring you into that space? Walking. Yeah. Yeah, going for walks help helps me a lot. Um, sometimes skies. <laughs> Obviously, those are those are big for you. <laughs> um, but going for walks helps. Um, train rides help. Oh, you know? train rides are magical. Why are they so magical? They are so magical. They are. I mean, and it's not. A, it's definitely a train. It's not a plane. It's not a you car. Know? It's not a plane. Car, it's not yeah. a bus. Right. There's something about the train. I, I I don't know if they're still doing this, but a few years ago, Amtrak started these writers residences or something. Yeah. And I was like, that's a dream. That's yeah. a dream, right? There's yeah. something about the train that I can, I can, I can get in that space and hear myself think, and I just love it. You know, it it works for me. Oh, oh that makes me want to get on a train. Oh, oh, absolutely. My sister used to drive trains and she would have, yeah, Burlington Northern. She was, and she, she said it was like that when you're even working as the, as the brake person as she was. Yeah, Yeah. I believe it. I mean, that's, that would be like, you know, I don't want to romanticize it, but that would be a dream job. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of dreamy for her. I think she doesn't do that anymore. And she still, she still dreams about it. Yeah. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Wow, that's interesting. Um, I think it's being, you know, when I finally get to that place where um, I'm thinking about it, I'm in it, I feel like even when I'm not, you know, actually writing at the computer or with a pencil, I'm still writing. So, Mm. you know, something wakes me up, like I wake up wanting to get to it. And, um, or I wake up to the bathroom at night and there's a sentence that mm-hmm. sounds like it's the most brilliant, most beautiful sentence in the world. And I write it down. And then maybe the next morning, it's not all of that. <laughs> Sometimes it is. Most times Sometimes. it's not. <laughs> exactly. But it means that I'm, I'm in it, you know, yeah. I'm there and it's, it's sort of talking to me. Um, so that, yeah, I, I think that would be it. Mm, delicious. I love that. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with our writers? Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. For me, I think it's a, I, I, I have to hear it 
you know? So I, whatever I write, um, I make myself read it aloud. I have to hear it. I have to read it aloud. And if it doesn't sound right aloud to me, and oftentimes it doesn't sound right in my head, um, then I have to go back in mm. and sort of, it's almost, I have to go back in and kind of recarve it or something. And it mm. only comes from hearing it aloud. Like it does not come from reading it. Um, and so I think that's what that, for me, that's like um, something that I, that works for me. I don't know that it would work for everyone, but I, I think it might, I think it could. I have a couple of questions about that. Um, at what stage of your process do you do the reading out loud? I'm assuming it's not right after the crappy first, first, first draft. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, because <laughs> that would depress you. Exactly. That would sound hard. Actually, it's when I think it's good. Oh, yes. Right? Because if I sometimes like it's when I think it's I'm like, oh, okay, this is it. This is it. Right. But I know that I've got to read it aloud because um I something I always hear something different. You know, and it might even just be, you know, that sentence is too long. Or those two sentences, there's there's gotta be, you know, there's like a beat right? That, that doesn't happen when I'm writing and when I'm reading it. But when I'm, when I'm reading it aloud, like when I'm reading it silently, it looks fine. Mm-hmm. When I'm reading it aloud, I'm like, and maybe it's just my style. I'm like, ba-dum, ba-dum. I need a mm-hmm. right? Like I need a third thing that, that either that sentence needs a third word or that kind of section needs a third sentence or something. And maybe it might be, you know, going back in and unpacking the sentence that I thought was one sentence. Maybe it's two and I have to, I have to adorn it a little bit more, you know, but I don't know any of that until I hear it aloud or, um, or even, you know, like a word, like, okay, I need that. That's not working in that. I need a synonym there. Um, And those are the kinds of things that maybe other writers can pick up but um, I, I find it helps. And I often tell my students this, to read it aloud. Um, the, and the, make a oh, so, the way you're speaking about it makes me wonder if you um, are also a musician or a poet of any type. So I am not a musician, but I am a, I am a music lover. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think I have a pretty good ear, even though I don't play. And I was um, an aspiring poet all through college, but not a very good one. So, so, but I do think it's that, I think it is those practices. I really do. I think you're right. I think you, I think you hit upon something. And Even that's the way true. you speak about it, I can hear that in your language. Yeah. And it's true of any kind of writing that I'm doing, you know, I mean, I, I won't say that it's true when I'm writing a promotion case for you know someone, but I even those I read aloud. You know, it's just a habit. It's a habit. Yeah, it's such a good habit to be in. I always want to do it. I always want to do it, and I'm always so impatient because by the time I get to the point where I think it's good enough to be read aloud and to work on that, is the deadline is here. I know. I know. I know. And then sometimes when I don't do it because the deadline is there, and then I read it in print, I'm like, <laughs> I knew. I missed a step. I can tell. (laughs) 
that doesn't sound too good. <laughs> I want to encourage everyone listening to try this and, and, and feel the difference there. Um, I would love to know what in your life affects your writing in a surprising way. Oh, wow. That's such a great question. Um, so I don't think, you know, reading affects my writing, but I don't think that surprises me. Like, it, you know, I expect reading to affect my writing. Um, so what in my life affects my writing in a surprising way? I think um, sometimes little moments, little, little moments of insight that I don't expect. There's a, one of my favorite sections and I can't quote it, but it's, um, it's into the lighthouse and mm. you know, uh, the woman who's the painter is, is saying, um, you know, she's like, suppose there is no grand revelation. Suppose there's just these little teeny moments, you know, like, and I thought, and, and so I think that always resonates with me because I think there's something about little moments of insight that come from the strangest places that sometimes actually really surprise me, you know, like, just sitting, like if, if I'm sitting on a park bench and watching like two pigeons or something yeah. or, you know, something like that where I just don't expect it. And then I've got to go in and write it down. Um, sometimes being completely, um, oh, and, and I consider these like little gifts. I'll be at the theater or I'll be um, at a music performance or at something. And for some reason, maybe because it affects a different part of my brain, um, a sentence will come, mm. you know, just a sentence. And I, I'm like, I, I write it down and I'll think, I don't know where that sentence fits. I don't know where it's going to be, but that's the sentence I'm going to hold on to. And it would not have come to me if I had not been in this place. Yeah, I have a book on Billie Holiday and the very last sentence of that book <laughs> came to me, um, I was at the jazz vocalist, Cassandra Wilson. I was at one of her concerts and it was something about her and her singing in that moment. And I was one of those annoying people that people hate because I started digging around in my purse, making all this noise, looking for a piece of paper and a pencil and writing in the dark and not even sure that I could see it. But I knew that was gonna, like that was the last sentence of my book. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get, I'm going to finish it. And, um, but it was totally a surprise. Like what stage were you at in the, in the writing of the book when that occurred? It's a good question. Um, I think that I, it's interesting. I, I had a, I, I was, I was nearing a first draft. Right. So there were lots of holes. And there were some things that weren't even written yet. Um, I had a sense of what the last chapter might be, maybe, but it was helpful because with that sentence, then I knew where I had to get to. Yeah. You know, Did I knew I gotta do, I, I don't know what it is, but I gotta do some stuff that gets me there. That's gorgeous. Did you ever share that with, uh, you said Cassandra Wilson? Yeah, so no, I never told her that because, you know, I'm like a very public person and I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert who is very shy. 
<laughs> Me too. I am an extrovert who is very shy. I really understand that. But if you popped a copy of the book, of that book with a note to her and sent it to her publicist to forward on, would she not love that? She would love No, I could definitely do that. I, I mean, but even this most recent book, it, something similar happened. Like I, I, um, I was walking in the park. I was near the end. I was near a draft. You know, I still had a lot to do, but I almost had a draft. And I sat down and I wrote what I wrote on. I <laughs> this was during the pandemic, you know, where we were trying to just get out to walk. And I was walking in by myself, and I sat down with my phone, and I wrote down the last paragraph. It just, yeah. So I oh think my I write, goodness. I write. Maybe I write my endings first for <laughs> I write That's my so gorgeous before I'm done yeah and then I know where I have to go to I'm 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 envious of that I want that to happen to me I never know where I'm going with my books ever I, never, I don't know how I see it with me I never know how I'm going to get there yeah I don't know I, that I, either I don't I don't know how I'm starting I don't know how I start I don't know I don't know how I'm getting there but at some point when I'm struggling and writing and trying, you know, get and getting close to having a draft, a bad draft, but a draft, mm-hmm. I sort of know where the end is. And, you know, I have a friend who's um, a novelist, uh, A.J. Verdell. She wrote a beautiful novel called The Good Negress. And I think it, I, she's going to kill me because she might not have ever said this. <laughs> but in my fantasy or in my, you know, flawed memory. She said something about how she reads the end of a book first. Oh, I have friends who do that. Yeah, right. And that's how they know if they want to read it. <laughs> I would never, I barely read the back of a book. I just right. want I everything never. to be a surprise. Yeah. Exactly. Me too. I don't know. I don't want to read the end of the book. Like, but she said that and I think it stuck with me. So I said, oh, I want the end to be good. So, you know. <laughs> But right, I would never read the end of the book because then, come on, like that ruins it. Yes, <laughs> yes. That I, she's not the only one I've heard say that. That is, that is wonderful. Speaking of books and writers, um, what is the best book that you have read recently and why did you love it? Oh my goodness. Oh, there's a, um, there's a book called, I'm going to forget the name, something Afri- Africetti by Asali Solomon. And it's a little, very condensed, exquisitely crafted novel. Um, mm. that, and it was one, you know what I loved about it? Because I've also been reading these really big novels, but like, like I read, you know, Wally Soyinka's new novel, um, Chronicle of the Happiest People on Earth, and it's like 500 pages long, and <laughs> with a surprise ending. So you gotta <laughs> make your way to it. So what I loved about Asali Solomon's book is that it was, um, I took it away on a weekend knowing that I was going to finish it. Mm. That was nice. Like, what a treat. That's like mm-hmm. having a, you know, like a you know, perfect dessert. Like I was going to say, that's like literally sitting down with your favorite chocolates and knowing you're going to eat them all right now. Eat them. You're going to eat them, right? You're going to eat them and you're not going to be sick. You're going to be so satisfied. I read her other work. So I knew I liked her as a writer. Um, And I took it away for a weekend and I knew I was like Friday, Mm -hmm. Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to finish this book. And I 
so enjoyed reading that book. It was just a perfect fall read. (laughs) That sounds wonderful. Thank you. Also, speaking of books, can you tell our listeners, please, about your new book? Certainly. So um, it's different from anything I've ever written. Um, And I think it's a book where I I feel like I give all of me, you know, um, Mm. a lot of my work is, I mean, I'm very attentive to my writing and I'm I'm a writer first and foremost, or I should say what I always say is that I'm an aspiring writer first and foremost. Um, but, you know, I write scholarly work. I write academic work. Um, a lot of my, my, my essays are all over, you know, for all kinds of audiences. But this one, I felt like I didn't have to put um, any boundaries around any part of who I am. So it is in part memoir. Um, and it tells the story, the, the memoir part. And I say that like not autobiography because it's not an autobiography because it doesn't pretend to be um, comprehensive. Right. It's part of my life and it tells the story of my relationship with my father as my first teacher who you know gave me the gift of a love for learning and reading and um, the, the circumstances of his death and then the immediate aftermath of his death which was my community and family coming together to basically care for my mother and me so that's the memoir part um, and then the literary critic person in me who started out as a girl who just loved to read and love literature um, talks about many of the issues that his death raised for me as a a girl um, and how I sought answers in books and how I still seek answers in books. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a a series of readings of um, some literature that I find really important and that I love to share. And I try to make you know, the voice, not, you know, be the voice of the memorial, memoirist, then the voice of the critic. No, it's the same voice. Mm -hmm. So I hope that it continues to be inviting and um, that there's a storytelling element to it. Um, And it's, you know, it's sort of all those things. Yeah. It sounds like it is put together so organically from who you really are. And also I love, um, most people listen to this show. They don't, many fewer people listen on or watch on YouTube, but your face and your whole body just got this lightness when you, and brightness while you were talking about the book. How did it feel to really bring your whole self to this project? You know, thank you. Because yes, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like I finally was able to bring my whole self to the book. And, and not hold back a part of myself so that the other one could be more taken more seriously or anything. Yeah. So it felt wonderful. And in terms of literature, I was talking to another on another program and I said, I was just honest about the way I think about books. So, you know, I said, I'll, here's an example. Like I'll be walking in the train station. There we go. Trains again. I'm walking in the train station, just minding my own business. And it's early in the morning. I'm getting an early train and I'll see two little girls and they're adorable you know, but they they have like, I think, oh my God, they have a head full of hair. Look, they have so much hair. And then I think, oh, you know, and they're dressed like it's, their mother has them dressed like it's the 1940s. Like, that's so interesting. And then I was like, they look just like First Corinthians and her sister in Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. (laughs) So so I think the book sort of shows that part of me, like the the literary geek, (laughs) 
right? That lens that you use to look at the world. Exactly. To, you know, to understand things, to explain things, to describe like, oh, there they are. They've come to life, those characters, you know, (laughs) in the book. And so it's it's, it's why the voice can be a little, you know, can be seamless because it's just the way I, I, I could honestly say without worrying, like, will I be taken seriously as an academic if I admit this, you know, or I don't have the scholarly objective distance. And I was like, I don't really have to here because I'm just talking about myself as a reader Mm. to other readers, you know, who get it, who will get it. And if they aren't other readers to entice them to be readers. That is absolutely gorgeous. The title of the book is Read Until You Understand the Profound Wisdom of Black Life and Literature. This has been so delightful talking to you. I've loved it. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Farah. I will let you know when it is up. It'll be a little while because I'm a little bit backed up in episodes. Um, But thank you so much. And we will be in touch. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.